Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Thank you to all the musicians and Katrina and Sister Gabby and everybody that helped out as well. Always appreciate that. And how many knows that we don't often like the wilderness, but the wilderness is beneficial for us. Whatever the wilderness is, it's beneficial to us spiritually after we go through it. And I'm thankful, thankful for that. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I forgot to mention Kids for Kids Connection, but I think a lot of them already escaped. So <laughs> Kids for Kids Connection, if I didn't mention I'm so sorry, as I always forget to mention it. But hey, uh, John chapter 8, read one verse of Scripture. Brother Jones on... I think it was Christmas Eve, Sunday, preach about Jesus as the light or something to that effect. And this verse popped into my mind during that, and uh, I've, I've studied it, and uh, I want to preach about it tonight. So John chapter 8, verse number 12, the Bible says, you can stand for the reading of God's word. Then spake Jesus again unto them, then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That's so sure. I think we can read it again. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Not very good at coming up with creative titles, so I'm calling this tonight the light of the world. So you can be seated tonight. The light of the world. People are naturally drawn to the light. I think, I think that's a true statement. And one example of that for my own life is uh, whenever I, I remember whenever Lincoln was a newborn, occasionally, not very often, but occasionally I would uh, assume responsibility for trying to get him to sleep. So Katrina obviously did the bulk of the work, but I would sometimes try to be nice and help out. And so I would be in his room um, holding Lincoln, trying to get him to go to sleep. And I remembered that the room would be entirely dark except for a single lamp. And so I'd be rocking him, trying to get him to sleep. And guess where Lincoln's eyes were fixated on? Not me, but the, his eyes would be directed to the light of the lamp. And he would just continually, I just remember this, he would continually stare at the light. People are naturally drawn to the light. And I think we can apply this in a spiritual sense, that, that we are all attracted to light. Now, light is kind of a metaphor we'll talk about tonight of, of something or someone that can bring illumination to our lives, something that can, can bring insight, something that can bring help into our lives. Um, that's, that's what light is. And, and we, we can imagine that there's a world of light Options. Has anybody ever gone to Lowe's or Home Depot and you've been to the light fixture setting and there's like a gazillion different options for your house? Okay, imagine that, that you walk into to the Menards or wherever it is and you see all these different light fixtures that we live in a world of light options. And I think we would do well tonight to consider the words of Jesus where he said, I am the light of the world. That Jesus alone, this is what I want you to get tonight. Of all the options in the world, Jesus alone is the solution to the darkness. I know that's deep, 
You know, I know you might not have ever heard that before, just being facetious tonight. But Jesus alone, that there are no other options that can bring the solution to the darkness that exists in the world, right? That Jesus alone is the solution. For let's look first tonight at, at, at the darkness. Because whenever we say that Jesus is the light of the world, that assumes that there is something that is, is dark, right? That, that He's coming to be the light for, for a world that is filled with darkness. So what, is, what does it mean that the world is filled with darkness? What does that mean, this metaphor of darkness? And as my understanding of Scripture, I think there are at least three, there's three aspects of darkness in the world. And each of these are, are important, and there's kind of a progression from the first one to the, to the last one. The first aspect of darkness is spiritual ignorance. Okay, the first aspect of, of the world is dark is that people don't know what's going on. That's what darkness implies. Anybody's ever been in a super dark room when there's no light whatsoever, and you're kind of trying to fill your way ahead, you know, and you bump into a wall? That's what the world is, that, that people are, are ignorant, okay? Now, that's not an intellectual ignorance, okay? Although some people, you know, might, through, through some of their dumb decisions, or, you know, I remember teaching... Um, at high school uh, down in Georgia, and I had, would have certain students that just, whenever they get behind the wheel, they just become different people. Like, it's not wise to be driving 120 miles an hour. Okay, that is not a good decision on a two-lane road headed to church to be passing church members flying 95 miles an hour, and then, oh, wow, you know, your parents are going to wind up finding out because all the church members are like, hey, your kid, what <laughs> he's doing this. Okay, uh, People's problem, though, is not intellectual ignorance. Okay, it is a spiritual ignorance that people lack spiritual knowledge, spiritual understanding about who God is, about how we can be reconciled to God, about who we are as creatures made in the image of God. All of that. People are spiritually ignorant. Now we can see this a few different places. Uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at the at the Apostle Paul's letters. The Apostle Paul in First Timothy chapter two. He gives this great statement. He says that God wants all people to be saved. Anybody ever heard this before? God wants all men and women to be saved, and we believe that. But then he says, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Right? And so what Paul is implying there is that, that sinners... He, you know, they're not saved, but they also don't have a knowledge of the truth. He's drawn an equivalency between not having knowledge of the truth and not being saved. He could have said, you know, he could have said, uh, I want all people to experience the forgiveness of sins and to be saved. But he adds knowledge of truth, which is important. And it points to the fact that the world is spiritually ignorant. That people need the knowledge of the truth. Another place, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. That, that Christians, we are God's authorized messengers, and we're declaring a message. That's what a messenger is, right? He declares a message, and we're declaring the truth about who Jesus is. Is what does that imply? That implies that the world that is that is filled with darkness does not have this knowledge that they need this truth, this understanding about who Jesus is and about what He has come to do. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter four also 
He's describing the Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says that they have their understanding darkened. That, they, that because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, that, that those who are outside of Christ, there is a certain ignorance about them. Not an intellectual ignorance, we don't ever want to say that, but a spiritual ignorance. And that's the first thing about what, what, what it means, for what the darkness means, is there's the spiritual ignorance. Which leads to the second aspect of darkness, which is moral bondage. That because lost people are spiritually ignorant, they don't have the understanding about who Jesus is, they begin to behave in ways that enslave them. They engage in sinful practices. They don't have the the, the knowledge of Jesus and God, and because of that, they behave in a a certain way. Paul goes on in Ephesians 4, I just mentioned, where he talks about people having ignorance in them. He goes on right after that and says that these people have given themselves up to lasciviousness. Okay, now that's a that's an awesome word, right? Lasciviousness. What does that mean? That's behavior that's lacking no restraint. Okay? Because these people have 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 no knowledge of who Jesus is, they lack that knowledge, it leads to them behaving in a way that is contrary to the will and purposes of God, a way that leads to bondage. Paul said in a couple places in Romans 13, he said he called it the works of darkness. I want you to see, think about that. The works of darkness. That those who are lost are, 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 have a darkened understanding. They have no knowledge, which leads them to acting in a certain way, which leads to moral bondage. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, that God has delivered us, that God has rescued us from the power of darkness. Anybody ever experienced that power of darkness? That, that enslaving power of darkness, that you could not break the chains of sin yourself. And we have been transferred into the kingdom of His dear Son. But the point I want to emphasize tonight is that darkness, what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world and that He is the answer to the darkness? Darkness means spiritual ignorance. It leads to moral bondage. Okay? People that are not Christians are not just neutral but they're enslaved to sin. Consider the words of Jesus in John chapter 3. He said that light, talking about Himself, has come into the world and men received it readily. That's not what He says. He says that men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Okay, And so... Men and women that are outside of Christ, the darkness of this world, what does it mean? It means a spiritual ignorance, but also means a moral bondage, which leads to the third thing of darkness, and that is spiritual death. Okay? Spiritual death. We, 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 we're familiar with Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that says the wages of sin is death. And that doesn't just mean a death that's coming way down the road when we, we live you know, in, in hell. There's a present death that is experienced by those who are alienated from God. That that there is a spiritual death. I mean, think about it. Jesus has come to bring eternal life. Right? What does that imply? That implies that people are not currently alive and they need the life that Jesus offers. Right? They are, Paul said, dead 
in their sins and in their trespasses. And so those who are outside of Christ, when we were outside of Christ, we were spiritually ignorant. We were walking in darkness. We didn't know what was happening. We were in bondage to sin. And there was a spiritual death that was about us. That we were, we were not alive spiritually. We were dead spiritually. And I think we need to make sure, even if the, tonight you are not lost, even if tonight you are a Christian, you've been a Christian a long time, it's still important to reflect upon these things because we rejoice in what God has done in our lives, right? If you never think about the past that you had before you met Jesus, you're going to grow ungrateful, right? From the awesome redemption that has occurred in all of our lives who have come to God. Amen? So we need to make sure we think about these things, that whenever I was lost, whenever I was outside of Christ, whenever I wasn't saved, I was spiritually ignorant, I was walking in darkness, I was in bondage to sin, and there was, I wasn't alive spiritually, I, I, I was dead. Second thing tonight, so not just the darkness, let's look at the declaration. What does Jesus say? He says, I am the light of the world. Now, apparently, some people in early church thought that Jesus was calling himself the physical sun that gives light to the physical earth. And, and I found this funny as I was studying. Augustine, he found it necessary to write about this. And he said, let us not suppose that the Lord Jesus Christ is the sun which we see rising from the east, setting in the west. And so, just for clarification purposes tonight, if you understand Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, He's not saying that He is the one that is in the sky giving physical light, light to the world. He means something else entirely. What does He mean? What does He mean by this statement, I am the light of the world? It's helpful to understand the context behind what Jesus says here. And I want you to get this because this, this is powerful as we understand uh, what, what he's saying. If you notice how Jesus or John begins this first, he says that Jesus began to speak again. He spake again. Okay. Now most commentators, if you study this passage, are going to say that this refers back to John chapter 7. That, that uh, at the beginning of, of uh, John chapter 8 is the story of the, the woman caught in the act of adultery. But, and that this statement comes on the heels of that. But that whenever he says he spake again, it's putting him back in John chapter 7. Now what's happening in John chapter 7? John chapter 7 is recording where Jesus went. Listen carefully. I know this is like, you know, you're like, what, what does this matter? It's going to be cool whenever we get to the, the explanation. What's happening, what's happening in John chapter 7 is Jesus goes back to Jerusalem at a specific time. In John chapter 7, verse number 2, it says that it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? It's the Feast of Tabernacles. And you're like, wow, you know, I'm sure glad I got out in the cold to come hear that. You know, that's, that's powerful stuff right there. Feast of Tabernacles, why is that important? Well, here's why that's important. Because at the Feast of Tabernacles, on the very first night, there was a ceremony that was held in the temple, in a specific place of the temple called the Court of the Women. Okay? And in the temple, in the Court of the Women, on the first night of the Feast of Tabernacles, bunches of people are in Jerusalem from out of, out of town. They're, they're there in Jerusalem. What, what happens? There's a large crowd there. And all of a sudden, they light four great candelabras, okay? These big, 
fixtures. Anybody ever seen a candelabra? Am I pronouncing that right? Candelabra, anybody seen one? A big, a big one? Okay, so on the first night of the Feast of the Tabernacles, tr- tradition tells us that they light these four great candelabras in the middle of, uh, of the court of the women. And the light apparently is so bright that it lights all of Jerusalem and all of the courtyards in Jerusalem. That, that's, what, that's what tradition says. And that then throughout the night, after they light these, these four great light fixtures, the people are, are rejoicing and dancing and, and just having a good old time on the first night. And that's when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Think about that. Okay, So, so, so this, this great... Uh, Feast of the Tabernacles is happening, this brilliant light that's lighting all of Jerusalem. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. What he's saying is, you, you've seen the blaze of the temple illuminations piercing the darkness of the night, but I am the light of the world. And for anyone who follows me, there will be light. And not just for one exciting night, but for the rest of your life. And the light that was lit tonight in the temple, guess what's going to happen? It's going to burn out. But I am the light that never flickers and never dies. I am the light that lasts forever. Amen. That's awesome, isn't it? In the middle of this great feast, Jesus stands up and He says, I am the light of the world. Light is also important for another reason as we study this. Because according to tradition, light was one of the names of the coming Messiah. And when, so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's, he's indicating his divine origins. And I want to give you a couple passages from the Old Testament to show that. Malachi prophesied about someone that was coming who would be a son of righteousness. Now, whenever we hear son of righteousness, sometimes we can hear S-O-N. But if you go and read Malachi 4.2, it's S-U-N, right? And so when Jesus stands up and says that, he's, he's aware of all of this, and so he's giving us an indication that he believes that he is this messianic figure, that he has divine origins, which is awesome to think about. But Isaiah also, Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 42, he's referring to, to uh, his, his servant, uh, he's having a conversation between the Lord God and the servant whom I uphold, which is, which is, Christians believe, referring to Jesus. And he says that he's sending him to be a light to the Gentiles. Amen? And so whenever Jesus stands up, he's not just like making this random declaration that, you know, wow, that's really cool, I'm glad to hear that. But he is saying, I am the one that, that, that is from God. I am the one that has come to save my people. I am the one that has come. And we got to make sure we keep that in our mind, which is, which is awesome to think about. But earlier, I talked about three things about darkness. I talked about moral bondage. I talked about spiritual ignorance. I talked about spiritual death. Now, if Jesus, listen carefully, if that's what darkness is, and Jesus is the light, what does that mean? That means that Jesus is the solution to the darkness, right? That's what Jesus is saying, that you, you know what darkness is, you've experienced this personally in your life, I am the one that brings the solution to what is happening in your life. Let's think about it. I mean, spiritual ignorance. 
What did Jesus come as? He came at, what's the solution to that? Truth, right? People need the truth. They need spiritual understanding. And Jesus said in John chapter 14 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That He came to solve that problem. In John chapter 18, He said, To this end was I born, for this cause came in, I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. That one of the primary me- reasons why Jesus came into the world was to bring truth. Was to solve the problem that people had. That they were spiritually ignorant. One of the greatest examples, I think, of this is right after John chapter 8, John chapter 9. You know what happens in John chapter 9? A man gets healed that was blind. He was blind, not just something happened to him, but he was blind, the Bible says, from birth. Okay? And I love how this happens. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He says that again in John chapter 9, verse number 5, I am the light of the world. And he gives us a miracle that shows what this means. Okay, because we've, I, you know, I asked you earlier about walking in darkness. We've all experienced that, but obviously, a person that is blind has experienced that to a great degree for the entirety of their life. And Jesus is saying, "I've come to do that spiritually, right? That this man that was was blind from birth, and I physically healed them. I've come," Jesus said in John chapter nine, verse thirty-nine. "I've come into a world that those who do not see may see that we were we were." blind spiritually and God has brought us light amen do you remember amazing grace Katrina saying some of it tonight amazing grace how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see what was John Newton saying in that song he was saying whenever I was engaged in the slave trade that evil I was blind. I, didn't, I was not aware of what I was doing until the amazing grace of God came into my life. And that was all of us, though, tonight. Yes, we might not have been engaged in, in the slave trade, but all of us, when Jesus came into our life, we were blind. We were doing things that were wrong, morally wrong, against the will of God, and Jesus has opened our eyes that we now might see. Amen? Jesus is the solution to the darkness by bringing truth for us that were spiritually ignorant. He came to bring freedom to us who were in moral bondage. In John chapter 8, right after this, he was talking to some people who had believed in him. And he said, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus did not just come to show us the truth and say, all right, now you can live however you want, now you know. But Jesus revealed the truth that we might be set free. Amen. we got to make sure we emphasize that as well. That Jesus coming into this world to save was not just to say, all right, we for- I forgive you, now live any way that you want to, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is we can be free from the shackles that bind us. That, the, that Jesus can make us free and can make us free indeed. Amen? And so Jesus is the solution to the darkness because He brings truth. Because He brings freedom. 
Finally, because he brings life. Amen? We were spiritually dead. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Jesus brings life. Notice this in John chapter 8, verse number 12. If you have your Bibles open, you can see this. He says that he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus is calling himself life right, right there. In 1 John chapter 5, verse number 12, he says that he that hath the Son, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote a few other letters. 1 John 5 said, he that has the Son, if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he said he that has the Son has life. I already quoted it, John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus has come to bring life. Eternal life. Abundant life. Life that's going to last forever, endeavor, endeavor. But life that is eternal, not just in its duration, but life that is eternal in the sense of how wonderful that it is. Okay? Life that is more full of meaning and purpose. Anybody that has come to Christ, they know this to be true. Right? Anybody. Now, that doesn't mean that all your life just is dandy. Right? Anybody that's a Christian knows that that's not true. Your life going to have some hardships and difficulties. But guess what? You have abundant, eternal life. Don't skip over what Jesus says there, too, when he makes that declaration. He does not say, I am the light of Galilee. I am the light of Jerusalem. I am the light of Judea. He says, I am the light of the world. Revelation 5 talks about every language, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That includes me and that includes you tonight, friend. That Jesus did not just come to be light for, for, for those who lived in His day, but He's come to be light for people that would gather on a very cold Sunday night in the middle of January in northern Ohio. Amen? Amen. We talked about the darkness. What, is, what does the darkness mean? It means that we're ignorant, can't see what's going on, we're spiritually blind. Because of that, we live lives alienated from God, and we're in bondage to sin, and it's a realm of, of spiritual death. We talked about the declaration that Jesus is the solution, and He is the solution alone. Finally, let's look at the demand, and I'm almost, I'm almost done here tonight. See, Jesus does not just give us this authoritative statement, I am the light of the world, but He lays down a requirement for, for those who were listening to him and those who were listening tonight. What does he say? He that followeth me. He does not just say, I am the light of the world and this works for everybody. You know, and ta-da. He says, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What is the requirement? Put very simply, yet profoundly. Follow me. So Jesus is telling his listeners, objectively speaking, I am the light of the world. But a condition needs to be met if my light is going to affect your life. Okay? There's a condition that has to be met. That condition is to follow me. Now what does follow 
What does it mean to follow Jesus? And I found it interesting in studying this from commentator William Barclay. He talked about different ways that the word follow is used in different Greek contexts and illuminates what Jesus means. The word follow is sometimes used in the sense of giving obedience to different laws of a nation or a state, that we follow the laws of the land, right? Like we follow the speed limit. I'm just kidding. We follow um, um, laws, you know, in the land. And so what Jesus says there, that's one aspect of what he means, is obedience, okay? Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. He that obeys me, he that gives obedience to me, that is the one that is going to have light in their life. Another way that, that follow is, is used in different contexts is it's used of listening to and embracing a wise counselor's words. So somebody is speaking and we follow what they're saying means we believe what they're saying. Jesus is saying, you don't just need to obey me, but you need to believe my words. You need to embrace what I'm saying. You need to Listen to my words that I have the words of life and you need to listen to them and embrace them and believe what I'm saying. It's also used of a slave that is following his master. That he's accompanying his, his master. And I think that gives the context of surrender. That we are surrendered to Jesus, right? That, that we, we, His will is superior to our will, that we ought to be surrendered and yielded to whatever He wants in our lives. So that's what it means to follow Jesus. Not just, well, I, you know, I kind of prayed a prayer one time and, you know, as a five-year-old boy and hopefully it stuck. It's not, you know, well, I call myself Christian, I try to go to church, pay a little bit of money. Are you obeying what Jesus says? Do you love what Jesus says? Do you embrace what He says? Do you love to listen to His words, to read His words, to hear His words? Are you following Him wherever He might direct your steps as a slave would follow His Master? That's what it means. That's the demand that Jesus, Jesus gives. If Katrina would come to the music. So the question we need to ask ourselves tonight, all of us could ask ourselves is what's the light of my life? What, to what, or to whom am I looking for, for insight? What, what, where, where are my eyes going? Where are my ears listening to when I want to know how I need to live? Well, where am I going for some meaning and purpose in my life? Okay? Where am I going? Who am I looking for because we all have an aching hole in the middle of our hearts. Okay? We all have an emptiness inside of our hearts. Where do you go to fill that emptiness? What, what are you doing to, to, to bring, get relief for the emptiness that exists in every single human heart? Are you going to a career? You know, you're going to keep yourself busy making money? Say, all right, now I can be satisfied because I got enough money. Are you going to, to social media, a social media addiction? Maybe if I post enough pictures and videos, I'm going to get enough likes, enough affirmation from a lot of people. That's what some people do to deal with that emptiness. Maybe, maybe it's binge-watching things, playing a ton of video games. 
Is it a, a relationship? You think that your, your answer for the whole of your heart is a relationship with somebody else? Another, another girlfriend, another boyfriend, somebody else? Friend, whatever you're trying to, to fill your life with, okay, whether it's any of these categories, whether it's something else entirely, Jesus alone is the solution to the darkness. Okay? Jesus alone brings truth. Following Jesus alone gives understanding to what's happened in your life, to who God is, to how you can be saved. Jesus alone, Jesus alone brings freedom from sin. Whatever bondage and sin you might have, Jesus can set you free. And Jesus alone can bring you life, eternal. If you can't get life from playing video games, you can't get eternal life and freedom from sin by watching football, and I love football. You can't do all any of that. It doesn't, it doesn't meet the need that is at the center of your life. Jesus is the light of the world. And so as we prepare to pray tonight, there's two categories of people tonight. There's people that Jesus is the light of your life, or there's people that's not. If Jesus is the light of your life and we come to pray tonight, we should reaffirm our commitment to Him, to following Him, to keeping that condition the same. We should thank Him for what He has done in our life. But tonight, if by chance you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ, can I invite you to embrace Him, to make Him the light of your life because He is the light of the world? Doesn't matter your name, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your status in life, your socioeconomic background, doesn't matter any of that. Okay? If you come to Jesus, He will be the light of your life and He will bring freedom, forgiveness of sin, and give you a life that you can't.